Man, I'm going to pray. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God, I just want to tell you, thank you, God. Thank you for goodness. Thank you for grace. Thank you for love, God. Thank you for mercy that we can't even begin to understand. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for your spirit that moves, God. Thank you for parting red seas and moving mountains, God. Thank you, Father, that we can call on you. There's no sickness you can't heal, no storm that you can't calm, no mountain you can't move, no trouble you can't solve, God. Lord, I pray you'd move in here tonight among your people, Father. I pray, Lord, that you'd touch each and every need. I pray you'd do what only you can do. May your Holy Spirit speak to every heart in here tonight, God. Lord, I pray you'd meet each person where they are, God. I pray that you'd move, God. I pray that your perfect will be accomplished, God. I pray for my brother, your chosen vessel, the preacher of many, many years, God. I ask you, would you anoint him, touch his tongue, touch his lips, speak through him boldly, God. I pray you'd give him the, the words that we need, God. Lord, we love you, God. You've been so good to us. We trust you. We thank you and we pray you in Jesus' precious, sweet, holy name. Amen. 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 God thank bless you, Pastor. You, love you, brother. All right. Praise the Lord. Ecclesiastes. Y'all know the book, right? Ecclesiastes. Turn to chapter 6. I have really already just enjoyed being here just since last night and tonight. Wisnet, thank you for the music and for your faithfulness down through the years, singing for the Lord, singing truth and helping folks with his word and in music. I was just thinking, uh, just um, as Pastor was talking about me, I, I mentioned it last night, and I'm just going to ditto it. I am nothing. I am nothing. I'm in a suit and tie. I clean up all right, or my wife thinks so, and that's all that matters. But I'm nothing. I was there when I got saved. I flipped every page of my life. And there's been a lot of pages in my life that uh, if the deacons knew what was going on, maybe in my marriage, they might have asked me to leave. God's just been so faithful against the backdrop of me being unfaithful. Uh, we've been going through Nehemiah at the church. And uh, we did Ezra before Nehemiah, and I did Daniel before then. So I thought I'd give our people a little glimpse of what maybe Daniel was able to experience as an old man, seeing his people go back into the city of Jerusalem, go back home. He spent his whole life in exile, snatched as a teenager, made a eunuch. Now, I'll just let you think about that. I don't know if he'd have appreciated that plan, if God would have told him that plan up front. I'll be all right. I'll just pass on that. Yeah. Just faithful to God and Nehemiah in 8 begins to build. I'll, I'll get to Ecclesiastes, I promise. Nehemiah begins to rebuild the people. Walls make a pretty city. But good hearts make a pretty people. Walls are useless without their hearts being right. So in 8, he begins to read the word. And I don't know that there was much preaching necessarily but they did define the text explain the text and clarify the text and read through the text and God's people wept convicted 
had to be one of the oddest if it were a revival service because they basically told him to stop weeping because it's time for a celebration. So he just got to hold off on the weeping for about 24 days. Sometimes our repentance is emotion. 24 days later in chapter 9, they showed up in sackcloth. God stirred their hearts so much about their sin that they didn't have to do it the day he spoke to them. They was waiting 24 days later. We got business to deal with. They come ready to repent. In verse 5 or verse 6 of chapter 9, the Levites or whoever rehearsed their history. It was a history of their unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. Every judge, every prophet, everybody that spoke their word in their lives, they'd listen to for a little while and then they'd sin. And it'd be real easy for us to look at them and say, you got to be kidding me. People that walked across the Red Sea had them stories in their uh, framework of belief system and they couldn't just be faithful to God. What God has done for you and me, that we just forget it. So I've just been reminded tonight while they were singing and the preacher talking about me, man, my life has been a bunch of pages of him being unfaithful or me being unfaithful and God just being faithful. So I just wanted to praise him tonight for his goodness to me. Last night, we introduced the book of Ecclesiastes with some scattered thoughts on just an overview. I gave you four things to think about. Many of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes. I appreciate it. Some of you have found out it's kind of a depressing book, the first six, seven chapters. Kind of make you want to go out and say, Lord, why did I read that book? But we talked about four things that seems to be highlights of the whole book. One is life is short. And Solomon's a 90-year-old man that spent the biggest chunk of his life just living for all the wrong stuff, all the wrong things. Fractured the relationship that he had with the Shunammite woman that was the love of his life. But he fractured it by satisfying his flesh with 900 concubines. Tried to fill the coffers with money. And his head with wisdom and his life with stuff. And just still said, life is just empty. So he's a 90-year-old man writing to a bunch of people. And he tells us, young, seek God quick as you can. So what did we talk about last night? If you got business to do with God, you need to get at it. We ain't got time for exits. We ain't got time for respites. And I don't care what age you are. I got a 94-year-old woman sits on the third pew every Sunday, and she'd still work in VBS if her legs had let her. You ain't got time to keep pushing off when you're going to be a good parent. You ain't got time to be shedding the responsibility of raising your kids. It is not the church's responsibility. They are a supplement to the home. So you ain't got time to say, I just don't have time to get in God's word. Then you need to shove something else off your plate. So you can spend time in God's word because your kids are going to grow up. They're going to be gone. Second thing that we saw last night was that God's got a plan And that can't be a t-shirt slogan because sometimes it's going to be difficult. Sometimes it might be Job. Job had the right perspective. That's what we're talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon gives us perspective, the right perspective of life. I promise you, Job had not read Ecclesiastes. 
right? He fits around Genesis 11 or 12, so he hadn't read, but he had perspective because here's what he said, naked I came in and naked I'm going out. You give and you take. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet understand him? No, trust him. God's got a plan. It cannot be a good lick in a song. It's got to be the premise of your life. That you're not the major player. God is. Your happiness does not measure up to his glory. Ephesians 1 tells me that I've been redeemed not to make happy, to make holy. That's my perspective. Third thing, I'm to be living for the eternal. That's hard in a flesh body, flesh eyes, flesh heart. It's hard. We like the lines on cars, the styles on clothes, whatever. It's just, not, it's just hard not to live for stuff. You've got to intentionally do things that are eternal. I mentioned it last night. I hope some of y'all are thinking about, I might could use my den, my living room, my backyard, my deck for the glory of Jesus. Invite some teenagers in there and talk to them about Jesus. Hope you're thinking about that. Hope you're praying about that and getting over the mess that might be in your carpet. Change the carpet. My daddy... When I was about eight or nine years old, I was laying on the bed and I was messing with his billfold. Then I pulled out his driver's license and when I pulled out his driver's license, two real thin $100 bills kind of popped out. I don't know that I'd ever seen a $100 bill at that time, but I thought this is pretty big money. And I remember asking my dad, why, why is this money in behind the driver's license? And the first thing he said was, what are you doing in my billfold? And I said, well, Dad, I'm just, I'm just wondering, what is this money for? And he says, well, that's money. Me and your mama, we take $20 out of our check every week. And we pile it up. And we give it away. I have to be honest. First thing that crossed my mind, well, you, you, you want to give me some? I got, I, got, I got some toys I'm looking for. My dad did not know he was teaching me something. But that's stuck in my head since I was a kid. My mom and daddy plan on giving money away. Are they crazy? No, they were planning on doing eternal stuff. Anytime a missionary showed up at the church we grew up in, they had a need. Mom and daddy had money put back. Anytime there was somebody got burned out at work, mom and daddy had money put back. You will not do eternal on the fly. You have to plan it. By the way, your house ain't your house. Your car ain't your car. We'll just go down to the essentials. Your breath ain't your breath. So it's time for me as a believer and you as a believer to live for the eternal because that's who we are. And then the last thing, we're accountable to God. So I want us tonight to go to chapter 6. And tonight we're going to stay in one location and not hop all over the place. I hope you got something last night, and I hope you get something tonight. And we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 6. Now, this is my opinion, and there wasn't chapter headings in the Bible, so I'm, just, I'm not doing anything bad here. But I just believe 11 and 12 go with chapter 7. So we're going to start with verse 11 and 12 
Because there's a contrast that Solomon is building here around the word better. Solomon is going to begin in chapter 6, chapter 7 to give us some ideas. And tonight we're still talking about perspective. Life's perspective. Like I said last night. And Brother Brian kind of brought it up when he was singing. We get hooked up on the American dream instead of the kingdom of God. Man, I'm an American. I'm a flag waver, but I'm a believer. I live by a different set of rules. I live by a biblical standard. What God has in store for my life takes precedent over everything else in my life. So Solomon's going to give us some more perspective about the perspective I'm supposed to have in life. And remember, he botched most of his up. So he's kind of telling us, you need to get this perspective as soon as you can. Listen, you guys know we're living in a culture where everybody's almost trained to be victims. Even inside the body of Christ. We're not victims. But I am to be surrendered to the will of Christ. And sometimes the will of God means prison. It did for Paul to reach a jailer with the gospel. I wouldn't have chose that. I wouldn't have said, God, hey, just sleep me in prison sometime. <laughs> Who says that? But we should be surrendered to whatever God wants, right? Because he's in control. So let's look at a couple things or three things at least in verse 12 before we get to verse 1 of chapter 7. Verse 11 says, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? There's the pondering question. What is man the better? There's many things that increase vanity. He's telling us up front, if you're not careful, you will live your entire life down the wrong path. The potential and the probability of that is immense. I've been pastoring, as he said, 43 years. I've seen a lot of train wrecks, marriages, teenagers. Why? Because the vain path is an easy one. It's downhill. It fits my flesh. It feels good. It seems to be satisfying at some point, but it never really fills the void. But it's easy. It's there. It's accessible. So he's just reminding us on the warning into this thing. If you're not eternally perspective intentionally, you will find the wrong path. Because there's bunches of them. There's one way, right, that leads to Jesus through the gospel. Well, I'm telling you, after you find Jesus through faith in the gospel, it doesn't get any easier to make sure that we're staying on that right path. There's many ways. That increase what? The emptiness. You're not going to find anything on the planet, any endeavor on the planet, any pursuit on the planet that's going to fill the void in your life. There's not a man made. There's not a woman made. There's no job made. There's no health level. There's no financial level. There is no scratch on the planet that will itch what's in your soul. God's the only one that can fill it God's the only one so you can take any path that you want but Solomon says those paths will leave you empty 
I thought it was great when they were playing the video with the song, The Woman at the Well. I mean, what, a, what an amazing story of what Jesus is offering. He was not just offering her salvation. He was offering her life. You've been trying to find it in me, and you've been trying to find it in this, and I'm just telling you, I'm not just forgiving you your sins. I'm going to give you a new life. God don't want to do Sundays with you. God wants to do life with you. Too many believers just, they pick up God almost at the door. I mean, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but for most folks, that's about the only time they got their Bible with them. It's not, a, it's not the primary uh, book in the house. A, a, a professor at the University of North Carolina, and I'm a Tar Heel, sorry. I'm, I'm glad Georgia won, you know, the, the thing. But I'm a Tar Heel. In basketball, they stink in football. I mean, whatever. But a professor, just want you to listen. A professor stood up, and he's an atheist, and he's got a class of three, 400 kids in his class, and he asked them, I think it was Dan Brown that wrote that, uh, what's that movie they, he made? Somebody help me. No, it ain't it. Real good grief. I can't even think of the movie. Whatever. It was a movie that made off of this guy's book. So he asked this question, said, uh, how many of you people in here believe that God wrote the Bible? Well, it's, a, it's in the South, so 300 kids raised their hand. I believe God wrote the Bible. Then he mentioned the book that they made the movie about, and I can't think of it. Maybe somebody will think of it, or maybe I will. Said, so how many of y'all have read that book? They all raised their hand. They had read that book. Then he went back to question one. He said, how many of y'all in here have read the Bible through? Five hands went up. And here's what the atheist teacher asked 300 kids in a southern university where they all said they believed God wrote the Bible, but they read the other book that they made the movie on, but they've never read the Bible. He said, don't you think it would be pretty interesting if you read a book that God wrote? So I'm just telling you tonight, there are multitudes of roads that lead down a wrong path, an empty path. Now let's look at the three things in verse 12. First question, and I'm just going to say this before we get to verse 1 of chapter 7. Here's a question that's got to be answered, and it's answered not by a verbal little whatever. It's answered with the way you do your life. Here's question number one. Who knoweth what is good for man in this life? Everybody in the room tonight that knows Jesus knows the answer to that question. Who knows? Who knoweth what is good for man in this life? God does, right? Well, let's just go right back to the book. Maybe I could ask you guys that question. You ever read the Bible through? You ever started in Genesis 1 or all the way to Revelation 22? Don't you think it would be a good thing if God wrote a book? I mean, he really did, right? And we're the conservative bunch. You ever read it through? What prominent place does it have in your home? All the answers are in here. I don't have any problem with somebody coming Talking to me. I talked with one of my young ladies in the church having an issue. I don't mind a phone call, text. I don't. I don't mind hanging around here tonight if anybody's got a question. I ain't got all the answers, but I don't mind sharing and talking with you. 
but I am a nobody. You get to hang out with Jesus every day. You've got his wisdom on paper that you have access to. And it has nothing to do with your IQ. You might stink in science, stink in history. You can tell by me talking, I didn't do good in English. Right? I'm mean, pretty settled. But guess what? My heart is in tune with his. My mind is in tune with his. I have the spirit of God in me. I have the spirit of God that wrote the book in me. I've got Jesus in me. God has given you the capacity to know his word. Not to say that you might need a little help. Not to say that you might have to text your preacher. Not to say that you might have to talk to your mama. But I'm telling you, get hungry for the word. You will not make it through life. Solomon said, who knows how to do life well? It ain't daddy. It ain't mama. It ain't preacher. It's God. Now, let's be honest. I'll just stick on this. Too many people depend on preachers. You know what I am? This is the best thing they've ever been told what a preacher was. Mockingbirds. Honestly, that's all I am. Now, I know I'm giving you some definition or explanation of God's word, but if I go any way off of what's in here, it's just my opinion and it's useless. I'm a mockingbird. That's it. Repeat what God has said. God don't need my angle, don't need my spin. You don't need my angle, my spin. And you don't need to get all you're getting from God's man. You get to get it from God himself. Solomon's saying there's lots of roads. Who knows how to do life? God does. And he wrote a book. I'm asking you in these days of revival, let one of the flows from revival is that your home changes when it comes to God's word. My mama was relentless. Now, I didn't like her. I didn't. She was constant. She would stick Bible verses in my pockets. She would get in my billfold. When I do my mama's funeral, and she's 95, still living at home by herself. Spunky gal still. But I'm going to say it. She might slap me when I get to heaven. She was the only woman preacher I knew. <laughs> She preached all the time God's word. I remember going through the lunch line, open my bill phone, find the Bible verse. I'm like, good grief. She pushed and pushed. To my shame and my regret, I ignored it and I pushed back. But boy, I can tell you something tonight. If you need wisdom, God wrote a book. You need some peace, God wrote a book. You need some direction, God wrote a book. You need to navigate your marriage, God wrote a book. You need to raise your kids, God wrote a book. You need to learn how to trust, God wrote a book. You think your preacher's got the answers? No, he's vying for the same stuff in the book. In the book. I might have more time. You know, preachers don't work, right? We don't work. We ain't got a job. I might have more time. 
but I don't have any more capacity to understand his word than you do. Maybe I've been gifted to teach and preach the scriptures, but study, no. Understand, no. You thirsty? God will give you drink. You hungry? I'm talking about soul hunger. He'll satisfy you. Right? Perfect father. Perfect God. Let your kids know. Now listen to me, parents. You need to understand that you've got to let your kids know God's word's important to you. And you're going to teach that by the way you do home. Not carrying them to church. Hopefully everybody brings their Bible to church. Hopefully you're coming to church faithfully. But that kids want to know what you're doing on Tuesday night. We don't miss volleyball practice. And I'm not against volleyball. I told you that last night. I'm for anything. God wants us to enjoy life. But the eternal things has to permeate everything I do. Even volleyball. He wants everything. He don't want five rooms in your house. He wants all of them. He wants all the closets. He wants under every rug. Because he wants to make it holy. He wants to be in your life. You're selling on your kids that the Bible ain't important when it's shut all week. And you're confusing them. Now, this is after 43 years uh, of preaching. I, I used to preach a lot, uh, camps and stuff. I guess when I was younger, they would invite me to preach camps and think, now that I'm an old man, I don't get invited back to camps no more. <laughs> so one year I decided that I would just do like a, like a survey. I've been reading all these other people's surveys. I thought, praise God, I'll do my own survey. So one summer, I spoke to several thousand kids. And so I did my own little survey. I think it was around five or 6,000 kids, and I just asked them three simple questions. Does your mom and dad read the Bible with you? Two, how many times a week does your mom and daddy read the Bible to you? Three, what is a service activity that you do in your home about serving the Lord? Out of about five or 6,000 kids, 3% said their mamas and daddies read the Bible with them any. Multiple times, zip. Service activities, like going visitation. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be just an amazing thing? Mom and dad take their two daughters on visitation. Well, the church goes, I didn't say the church did what they did on Tuesday night. What are you doing as a home to live for the eternal? Are souls important? What's the last words Jesus said? Y'all sung about it. Go. Well, that's the missionaries. You are. Perspective. That's who you are. Where are you going to learn to do life? God wrote a book. Number two. Look at it in the text. Back in verse number 12. All the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. Again, just a little subtle reminder. You ain't got time to start doing your Bible stuff next week. 
You can't take vacations from this because life's clicking, clock's clicking, kids are getting older, people's dying all around you. So again, he's just reminding them of one of the premises of the book of, Song of, so or book of Ecclesiastes Solomon wrote. That life is really short, so you don't have time to waste time about when you decide that you're going to go to God's word and try to navigate life. It can't be put off. So I'm just praying that this week, these days together, that some of you in this building will decide to make God's word a priority in your life. Eternal things, a priority in your life. If not this week, when? I mean, when are you going to do it? It's the right thing to do. And I will quote a little verse for you. For he that knoweth to do right and don't do it, sin. So we need to get at it. Number three. I got to hurry. Latter part of verse 12. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Under the sun just simply means while you're living on planet earth. And when you leave planet earth, what are you going to leave? Well, we told you last night, most of them would be boxed up by my girls and sold. They'll probably give it away. I can't believe Daddy kept this mess. I got Hot Wheels. I've collected Hot Wheels. I got Hess trucks. They don't tell me what they'll do with that junk. Probably chuck it. You go in my office, and uh, there's all kind of Tar Heel Blue stuff over there. I got every year they won the national championship, I got a basketball. A few of them signed. I got one signed by Dean Smith, whatever. But let me just tell you something. I hope. I'm leaving something behind beyond a basketball signed by a coach. I remember, Brother Winston, when I was with Tom several years ago, and he told me, he said, go back to the prophet room, and I want you to watch Adrian Rogers' funeral. And so I did. And the preachers did, did a great job. But man, you know the one that did the job was this girl. Listen to me. What you going to leave? Shotgun? A few balls signed by a big name coach? Or a legacy of faith? Of a dad that just, just, just exuded the word in his life. You know what's happening in most of our local churches, and I preach a little bit. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, completely ignorant. Most churches, Bible-believing churches, listen to me, have no male leadership. They can't find men to lead. Because they're too busy working, too busy climbing a rung on a ladder, too busy pushing this or pushing that to have a better life. He says the best life you find in a book, knowing that the sand's going out really fast and you're going to leave something behind a whole lot more important than a car or a house or land or money. You better leave. My daddy loved Jesus. My mama was a godly woman. I'll tell you a little story, and then I got to get to chapter 7, and we're going to be here way too long. Y'all won't let me come back tomorrow night. And I'm staying. I'm not going home tonight. I guess I'll just have to go back if you won't let me stay. My mom, back when she was 89, broke her hip. And so 
she was going to do home health therapy, stuff like that. So I told Wanda, we'll just move in with mom for a few days because I still got things to do and go. But Wanda could stay with her, do the day and do her exercises. I used to laugh at doing, I used to Snapchat. I, I'm sorry, but I did. Send it out to the family. Look at that. That's crazy, right? So I thought I would just, I knew what I was going to find. M- Mama usually goes off to sleep like, like 10 or 10.30, and then we'd wake up, she'd go to bed, but she always gets up really early. She don't sleep really good. So I knew about 5.36-ish, she was going to be up. And so one morning, I, I was just going to check. I, mean, I knew I was wasting my time. I just kind of looked down the hallway, and she was in her chair. You know what that old gal was doing? Her eyes ain't that good, but she had a ruler. Line by line, reading. I watched her little fingers. I remember seeing that when I was 15. Thinking she was crazy. Then... She shut her Bible and she got her little spiral notebook out. And she began, same little finger, and she began to go down the pages. My name's on that list, by the way. And she would pray. You think godliness is something that comes in the gene pool? You think holiness is something you get from a church? Mm mm. Walking with God day by day. She still understood, I can't live without him. I need another infusion of God's word. I need a little more time to talk to him. Well, my mama don't need to leave me nothing. I don't need no plates. I don't need her rings. She's left me so much. It's in here that I didn't get. You know, by hand, I got by watching her life. What you gonna leave? What you gonna leave when you leave? Now let's go to chapter seven. I know what time it is, so I'm gonna have to go really quick. I almost want to wait till tomorrow night, but I can't. I just, I, I need to go through this, but we'll go through quick. I know what time it is. Verse one. And verse one is my first thought. Here's my first thought. Leaving a good name. A good name is better than precious ointment, which is something valuable, treasured, costs a lot of money, save up three-fourths of a year maybe to purchase it. Good name's better. And a good name doesn't mean my name like Roberts or the Wisnets. It means a good life. And then it says a day of death better again than the day of birth. Now, I don't know about y'all, but, you know, usually you're kind of celebrating birth and crying at death. What's he talking about? Finishing. Finishing. Acts 20, 24, you kind of have a little capsule of the Apostle Paul's maybe prayer life, maybe projected perspective. When he says, I want to finish with joy, my course, my life. 
I love this. You put the verse right up there for me. That's amazing. Listen to this. Y'all got it back there too? Oh, good. Do you see the first part of that? None of these things move me. What was that? None of these what? The suffering that he was going to face when he went to Jerusalem, that don't move me. That don't deter me. That don't bother me. Perspective. I'm not going to bypass that town because there's a trial in it. I'm going through it. Why? Because I don't count my life dear. I mean, that, that ain't American dream. That if I work more and do this more, I'm going to have more stuff. No, that, that's my life is zero. God is everything. I'm not, dear means I'm not hanging on to my life. What Jesus say? You keep it, you lose it. You lose it. <laughs> we just don't like losing it. He says, I count my life not dear. Look at it. This is what produces it. So that I might finish. When he died, 2 Timothy, what did he say? I finished my course. Verse 1, and we'll do these quick. Are you living to finish? Finish well. Death day is the important day, how I finish. And that simply means if you're sitting in this building tonight and you've not done stuff real well, neither have I. I mess up periodically. I'm better in some areas and still struggling in some. But that's the journey of everybody. I'm just saying stay in the fight. I'm just saying stay on your knees. I'm just saying God don't hold no grudges. I'm just saying God forgives all things. Already happened at the cross. It was all past, present, future. It's all gone. We can live in the joy of knowing God will use our lives. So I'm just saying, get busy leaving an eternal legacy. Plan on it. Plan to give your life away. Plan to give money away. Plan to open up your house to teenagers. Plan to pick up some kids and take them to church. I just heard the testimony the other, other Sunday of a kid two times, two straight times in two months we've had missionaries in, and both these missionaries were in godless homes, and somebody... Somebody invited them to Bible school. One boy's mama was a witch. I mean, come on. His mama was a witch. He was, he was abused. But somebody in a local church just scooped down and invited him to VBS. And he got saved at 10. God brought him out of that home. Now he's on the mission field. That won't happen unless some of y'all plan on picking up some kids this summer when you have VBS. You'll just say they'll be loud. Yes, they will. They'll mess up my car. Yes, they will. And at the end of the week, they won't say, you did such a good job. Thank you for, thank you for taking me to VBS. No, they won't. <laughs> Second thing is in verse 3, or verse 2, I'm sorry. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living, living, this verse is not about dying or death, but the living will lay it to his heart. Number two, live life eternally. And the only thing he illustrates is it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a birthday party or a wedding. 
And I like weddings and birthday parties. I don't like doing weddings, really. Too much pressure. But I do like the cake. So why is he saying, you know, it's better to go to a funeral? Because of the living. They'll lay it to their heart. Now, that doesn't mean you got to just start like next week. Let's see, is it some funerals I can go to next week? I said, there's one Tuesday and there's one. No. It just means you live in a different world in your mind. He said, when people go to a celebration, they're just going to eat cake, eat, eat, eat ice cream, and say, this is really great. Let's do it again next week. But sometimes when they go to a funeral, they think about death, they think about life, they think about choices. I need to ponder the way I'm living my life. I need to ponder. I need to lay those things to my heart. That word lay there has the idea of your will being impressed. And you'll lay it to your heart. That's why it's good to go to church. That's why it's good to read the scriptures. Listen, the scriptures don't call any shots. What does the Bible say uh, in, in Hebrews? With surgical precision, it works its way to the intents of the heart. I need that. I can fool my wife. I can fool a church. I can fool my kids. I can fool you. But I cannot fool God's word. It's just light and it's a mirror. When I was reading chapter 9 to study and prepare for that message on Wednesday night, as we teach through the book of Nehemiah, I was just drawn into my own life as I read those verses of God's mercy and God's faithfulness and of their unfaithfulness and their disobedience. I saw Guy Roberts, Guy Roberts, and the amazing God that I get to do life with. And he lets me do this stuff. I don't understand it. I stand amazed at it. Number three, and this really goes from verse three to verse six, and this is, I, I promise, I, I'll, I'll go really quick. Look, look at verse three. There's three things that we need to learn. I want to live to leave a good name. I want to live my life eternally. It don't mean I got to go to a funeral, but I do need to be reminded that life is short. God's got a plan. And I need to be focused on the things that are going to matter when life is over. But number three is I need to learn life. A lot of people don't learn life. They push back at life because they don't like it. That's what Solomon was struggling with. One of the ladies shared with me tonight, they were reading through, and he said, they were sharing uh, how that he was saying, you know, you work all this, these days and all these years, and then you die and you leave your stuff to somebody else. Am I going to learn life? In verse number three, it says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. I need to learn life. I need to grow my faith. The heart is made better. When I shared with you the, in the book of James where those individuals were suffering, they were displaced, and he told them to count it all joy, which is an odd word for suffering. But he says, but you know this, you know your perspective, you know this, 
that, that it's going to produce growth in your life. Are you willing to learn life? Verse 4 says you'll, you'll grow in wisdom. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. You'll get wisdom. Wisdom is how to navigate life. Wisdom is how to take a Bible verse and put it in your life, put it in your feet, put it in your hands, and live it out. But if you're not willing to learn it, then you won't learn it. If you get out of church, listen, I could tell you story after story after story. People go through stuff in their life. First thing they do is they quit church. They get out, they run away, or they hide in a hole somewhere. He's saying you got to decide. I want to learn life from you. I don't have to like what you're doing. I just want to learn it. The last thing is in verse number five. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. You need to learn to listen. Listen. I am not a good listener. Back in the early days of our marriage, when we was trying to make points, me and my wife, while she was talking, I was already ready with the next thing. I wasn't even listening to her. I was waiting on the comeback. He said, if you really want to learn life, you're going to need to listen. Swift to hear. I'm done. Learn life. I met this lady right here. Right before church. Saw her last night. I, I prayed for her. I prayed for God to help her. I figured she was going through something. We talked, and I hope this don't embarrass you, but out in the foyer we were talking. If she had not made the decision with what she's facing right now that she was going to learn from it, she'd have run from it. Learn life. She didn't choose his path. The Lord did. But she's made a choice. Lord, use me. Grow me. Give me wisdom. Let me listen. It's not easy to do. She's learning stuff from God that I haven't. I ain't never been through nothing that she's been through. She's learning. I want to hear from her. She's walking with God through valleys and things that I ain't ever been through. She's going to learn things about God that I want to hear. Most believers don't want to learn life. They want to rule it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Before the pastor comes, I just got a couple of questions. One, will you decide tonight if there's something that needs to be fixed in some of these areas about our perspective of life, will you, will you address it tonight? Will you deal with it tonight? And then number two, if you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus, I'm telling you, the God of the Bible, he does not, I said it earlier, want to do church with you. He wants to do life with you. Every day. It's not some um, little phrase. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Amen. I have a precious wife of 41 years, two precious girls, 
three grandkids, two great-grandkids. My life is so stinking full. But the best things ever happened to me. When I was a six-year-old kid and my mama led me to repentance and faith and finding Christ to be a forgiving Savior. And every day, he's become better and sweeter and more faithful. I'm asking you tonight, if there's something you need to deal with, remember two premises of Ecclesiastes. You ain't got time to mess with this. If there's something you need to do, get over who's looking around and do business with the Lord. Just keep your heads bowed just for a minute. I want you to know the altar's open. Whatever the Lord's laid on your heart, don't take it home. It's not yours to carry. The Lord laid it on your heart because He wants you to share it with Him. You bring it to the altar. But I can't ever stand the thought of missing an opportunity that there just might be one. I know it's revival, I know it's Monday night. Surely everybody's in here is a Christian. Surely everybody in here is redeemed. Everybody's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I pray that that's true. But I can't stand the thought of shutting the door just in case there's one. Is anybody here tonight? You've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Don't go to bed tonight. Nobody promised you tomorrow. You heard the preacher talk about eternal things. Eternal things are all that matter. It's all that matters. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to pay for every sin, past, present, and future. All of mine, all of yours. Only two types of people in this world. They're both sinners. Praise God for us sinners that are redeemed of the Lamb of God, deserving of hell but going to heaven because he said we could. But their sinners are still lost. If you're one of those, you can pray tonight. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Not a little poem you get to say. Surrender your heart to Christ. Give your life to Him. Make Him Lord of your life. You do it with your own words, with your own mouth, with your own confession. And ask the Lord to save your soul. I'll trust the potter's Seems I'll crumble down. 
And I can hardly stand the But into his own design He is molding me, I know And though my world, it spins all around I know the potter's in control